Hey, aloha, everybody. This is Jeff Reinbold. It's the Jeff Reinbold Show, and we are back for the March 9th show where we're going to feature running backs, and we're going to stack our running back board, get our first look at this position, a position that, frankly, in a lot of ways may be undervalued in the NFL right now. And we're going to chop up a number of aspects of the running back position. So I'd like to bring in our guest today and through the draft, our draft expert, Ali Hodgkinson. Come on in, Ali. Let's talk a little running back football. How are we doing, Jeff? You're absolutely right. The NFL has almost criminally underrated the the running back position. I feel like we had this conversation last year as well. It's um, and it's, this is a class where you can't because there is so many. <clears throat> excuse me. There's so many good running backs. There's at least two running backs you could go in the first round. I feel like there's. I've got 25 draftable running backs as we look at it Whoa. right now. Mark, yeah, there's this a deep class of running backs. There's talent at the top. There's a lot of teams that need that talent as well. So it's uh, it's an interesting time going into the draft six weeks away, seven weeks away, whatever we're on today. Um, yeah, we're going to talk about some absolute studs at running back position this evening. You know, we look at you look at the position, and I remember last year when we were doing this, Ali, we talked about, about, you know, plug and play guys, guys that could come in and be three down backs. Uh, you know, you look at the the range of production that we got and you look at a guy like Walker in Seattle that was outstanding. I thought Brees Hall was on his way to a rookie of the year kind of year in, in with the Jets till he got hurt. And then you get a seventh rounder like Isaiah Pacheco that actually comes and, and creates a huge energy shift in the Kansas City offense at the end of the season when they needed him the worst so that just adds fuel in my mind to the to that you know talk about first day running backs is it worth going that all in on a guy when you look at you know so many fifth sixth seventh round running backs even have had great careers in the National Football League so what just initially and and you know your take on that and I know you you've got some favorites in this class that you think you'd take in a first day. Yeah, definitely, and it, it has become like you say it has become well we can get running backs on day two we can get running backs on day three it's not worth using a a first round pick on a guy at running back and like you mentioned there a guy like Isaiah Pacheco is is evidence of that argument you know you get a guy like Isaiah Pacheco in the seventh round sixth round and and come in and completely like you say rejuvenate and electrify the Kansas City Chiefs offense but you don't always find guys like that you know it's not it's not every year you're pulling a guy out of the seventh round or you know at any point on day three those guys they're, they're never there's no guarantees at that point in the draft but then again there's no there's no guarantees in the first round either um it very much depends on the the caliber of the running back. And we're going to talk about, I would say, two guys who I think are extremely impressive NFL caliber running backs. But it depends, obviously, on the, the, the talent that's around them and the draft as a whole, you know? If you've got, you know, five, six edge rushers who you think are going the first round, five or six cornerbacks who you think are going the first round, five or six quarterbacks, five or six wide receivers, you know, if you've got that sort of level of of um, of talent at other positions, then that makes your conversation about running back a, a different conversation. But I don't think you run out of room. You run out of draft picks. You know, you, well, you yeah, don't someone, thirty-two first rounders. 
Well, someone said to me the other day after after the combine, he's like, "Oh, this guy could be a top ten pick, right?" And I was like, "Well, who's not going in the top ten that was before the combine? You know, because you've yeah. got four quarterbacks that are going to go in the top ten. I think whether you like it or not, you've got three cornerbacks that could go in the the top ten positions. You start really, like you say, you start running out of room for to cram all these guys in, and there's only thirty one first round picks as well this year because obviously Miami forfeited their first round of this year, so." You know, there's only so much room, but uh, yeah, the uh, the top of this class certainly belongs in that first round location. But let's get right into it then. Give me who you have as your top rated running back. I think if you don't have Bijan Robinson out of Texas as your top rated running back, I kind of think, what is it we're, we're doing here if, if this guy isn't the top on every single team, every single media analyst, every single pro scout, every single amateur scout? If you watch football and you don't think B. John Robinson's the best running back in this class, I don't know what to tell you because he's not just the best running back. He's one of the best players in this class. There, there isn't a there isn't a handful of players in this draft class who are better than B. John Robinson. You look at him, he looks like an NFL running back. He's looked like an NFL running back since he was at high school. 5'11", 215 pounds, good arm length for a running back, good hand size for a running back. The measurables, we'll, we will talk about measurables last week. We talk about it last year. We'll talk about it next week and, and every class, especially now the combine's been. 1.52 10-yard split at 250 pounds. Uh, 215 pounds, sorry, sorry should I say. But let's, let's not add 35 pounds to the kid. 4.46 40-yard dash, 37-inch ball, uh, vertical jump, 10-foot-4 broad. Just incredible production from his career at Texas. Over three, nearly 3,500 rushing yards, 6.3 yards per carry um, for his career, 41 total touchdowns, and that number there the 41 total touchdowns is what you want to start talking about when you talk about Bijan Robinson because this is a kid who is a weapon in all phases of playing the position of running back he manipulates space like no one that I've scouted in certainly since I started doing this professionally two years ago there's a lot of comparison to Saquon Barkley when he came out of Penn State, you saw what Saquon Barkley did in the league with the New York Giants early in his career. What he did last year as well, coming back um, from from injury-hampered seasons, manipulates space incredibly, light feet, fluid, hips, fluidity is incredible. There's no speed drop-off on his courts. His vision's incredible. He has C-hole, hit-hole, go. Creative. I don't think there's another running back in this class who's as creative as B. John Robinson. And then... He runs routes and catches footballs better than half the wide receivers in this class. This is a kid who is very, it's very difficult to poke holes in his game as he comes out of Texas. And there's absolutely no reason to believe that as he goes into the NFL, he, he can't just be that absolute dominant beast that he's been throughout his entire football career. If you want to, if you want to nitpick, you'd say, oh, 4.46 40-yard dash is an elite speed. We're going to talk about some guys with elite speed in a bit, but for a kid, for a kid who's 5'11", 215 pounds, to run under 4.5 in the 40-yard dash, and that that's 10 split is the, the key, the one five two. That's just a, a testament to his explosion. I love Bijan Robinson. I don't know how you can't if you don't. All right, here, here's, here's what – let's poke some holes, all right? Um, <laughs> I said – you know, give me give me a game where it isn't going his way. Give me a game where 
the opponents roughing them up because I want to see them compete. I want to see, you know, what happens when does the team, does the, you know, does the offense now center through him and he puts the team on his back and go the whole deal. So I looked at the Iowa state game and I looked at his touches in the Iowa state game. And the only thing that, you know, I know the kid idolizes Barry Sanders. And as a matter of fact, he he's, he's, uh, a little bit obsessed with Barry Sanders and by his own admission. And there were some balls when he got in space, when he was on the perimeter where I wanted to see Barry Sanders. I wanted to see, you know, when, when you got out on the edge with Barry or you got into, you know, like a route on the flat and a linebacker was driving out of the curl to come tackle you. He was, I mean, it was very rare one man could get him down and that's what I didn't see from Bijan when I watched that Iowa State game I thought he was tough I thought he um, had great vision his jump cuts are really really special Um, there there was another thing I, I was a little bit concerned about too Ollie is there was a incidence in pass protection and I know it's just it's a one, you know, I'm watching one game and trying to find holes with this guy. But in that game, I didn't feel as a pass protector that he was very physical. And which yeah. really, really surprised me a little bit because he's a physical runner. He's not, I, I never saw him shy away from contact or any of those other things. But when somebody says to me, this is a top 10 talent in the draft, which is what I've heard over and over and over again since the, before the combine and since. I wanted to see on that film a top 10 guy take over the game. This is Iowa State we're talking about. It's not, you know, Georgia. And so that were, those were the only things I, I thought about Bijan that would make me go, I can't see unless I'm a team that is right on the cusp and the running back is the final piece in the puzzle, then I might go on the first round with him. But again, that's, I mean, that's working hard to find holes. Yeah. And this is the thing with, with any running back is you do, you do, you're going to need to find a team that doesn't have a greater need somewhere else. You are looking at a team that is just one piece away. And how many teams are there in the NFL that are just one piece away? There, there aren't many. And the, the, with the pass protection, I think it's, yeah, there's a, there's a little bit of a lack of physicality with the pass protection. If we're going to poke further holes, I think sometimes technically as well, from a pass protection standpoint, you don't often see him really get his arms. You know, he's, he's got, what do we say, 31 and, a, and an eighth inch arms. It's decent enough length for a, a running back. It's obviously not ideal. It's not offensive tackle length, but it's, it's you know, it's decent. You should be able to get, those arms extended in pass protection and you don't often um you don't always see that out of him um so there, there is that as well um i just think everything that is great about me john robinson's game kind of nullifies some of those concerns and you're going to get him in the right offense imagine him i, I said this before and I, don't, I don't think the philadelphia eagles will do it because they don't value the running back position quite the same as, as some other teams that do need a running back Imagine B. John Robinson running behind that Philadelphia Eagles offensive line and lining up in the backfield with Jalen Hurts and being a, a receiving option for Joe. Oh man, that's the sort of stuff football dreams are made of. Yeah, there's no question. I, he's a great player. I know he's gonna, you know, he's gonna go high. He's gonna hopefully have a great NFL career. Um, 
but again, I, I would I would just say as a top ten pick, boy, boy, that's a tough one to say. You got to do with all respect to the quarterbacks and the edge rushers and the corners. And this is a this is, draft's got some, I think, some quality players. And overall, all right, who you got as your second ranked guy, Ali? So I think there's a two for me anyway. I think there's a two clear running backs. So it's Bijan Robinson's a clear, a clear number one, and then Jameer Gibbs out of Alabama is my second ranked running back. Um, I think when I said at the top of, of the the show that I, there was two potentially two first round running backs, it would very much depend on where Bijan fell and how the rest of the draft board fell for Jameer Gibbs to to command first round. Um, capital, but I look at the explosiveness that he brings to the game. I look at the short area quickness, his ability to just gain a space advantage at the line of scrimmage is incredible. He's got good long speed, you know. He he clocked in at 436 on the 40-yard dash. And I think a lot of people were surprised by that. But when you look at some of the games that he had for Alabama, some of the games that he had for Georgia Tech, that long speed is evident on Jameer Gibbs's tape. You talk about physicality. I think Jameer Gibbs comes to the table with that physicality at times. I remember a pass protection rep last year. <coughs> Excuse me. I can't remember who it was against now off the top of my head, but there's a pass protection rep in, in last year's. Um, but when he was playing for Alabama last year, that it was like, that has got to hurt the, the blitzing, the blitzing linebacker, maybe just absolutely Jameer Gibbs just stood there and dealt this kid an absolute mouthful and it was one of those moments when you're watching football and you're like that kid if he can if he can do that in the NFL this is a kid who can stay on the field all three downs because he has got that receiving capability as well I don't think he's as good a receiver as B. John Robinson but he's been talented catching the ball at both Georgia Tech and both Alabama and then you throw in his ability as a kick returner as well so you've got multi-phased value um, as it pertains to, to Jameer Gibbs' NFL stock. Um, on the flip side, measured in slightly smaller, well, I say slightly smaller, measured in quite a bit smaller in terms of his height. Uh, the combine came in at 5'9", was listed by Alabama at 5'11". That seems to be a common theme about um, <clears throat> Alabama players, but we we, we tackled Bryce, Bryce Young last week. Um Came in at 5'9", um, came in just under 200 pounds as well, um, which was a surprise because he he looks like he plays bigger than that. Um, but how will the NFL view that size? Um, I, I always think when I watch Jameer Gibbs, I'd like to see him sometimes just take what's given to him. There's times where he, he tries to be too cute and he tries to get too creative and you just think, look, there's a, there's a hole there just and to take it and go. And he'll do something that it's like this, there was no need for that. Um, and again, great physicality that is seen on Collie's tape in terms of pass protection and as a runner. Is it NFL physicality? Is it a consistent physicality to his game? I think that could be a question as it pertains to Jameer Gibbs' draft stock. But I, I, I think if you've watched him play for Georgia Tech or Alabama, I think it's, I, I always like when I'm evaluating draft prospects. Have they played in multiple schemes? Can you see how they adapt to different schemes and to different coaching? And you're not you're not projecting that. You've seen that they can do different things at the college level. So you're not projecting their ability to do it at the NFL level. Um, and we've seen that from Jameer Gibbs as well. So I think there's there's B. John Robinson, there's Jameer Gibbs, 
And then for me, there's a noticeable drop-off. And that's not to say it's a noticeable drop-off to a terrible class. It's a it's a, just a drop-off because I think these two guys are that good. Yeah, I thought that Gibbs, you know, even though he is smaller, he is electric. I mean, he has that difficult to tackle, you know, in space, difficult to tackle even in, you know, in no space. You, you, you see some of the things he can do. You, you talked about gaining a, gaining an advantage how he can get with right now on a defender and he's strong enough, even though he's five, nine, he's not, he's short. He's not small. That's there's a difference. Right. And I, I think that this kid plays physical, you know, if you play at Alabama, you're going to be tough. You're going to play running back at Alabama. The good thing compared to some of the Alabama backs that have come out is this kid didn't take the pounding that some of the other backs that we've seen come out of Alabama who didn't have long NFL careers. And part of the reason was, I think, because there were so many hits they took in college. This kid hasn't been through that. So I like him very much, too. Uh, day one, can't say, but I, I still think he's a good player. Who you got third? A complete change of pace. And literally, Devin A. Chain of Texas A&M. Talk about, oh, oh. Talk about uh, I fell for a Texas A&M running back last year and was completely burnt by it. But I'm <laughs> nailing my colours to the mast again with Devin A-Chain. We talk about a smaller back. He's just five foot eight and a half, 188 pounds, 29-inch arms, eight and a half inch hands. Everything about him says he's not an NFL running back in terms of pure measurables. Then you look at the 1.51 10-yard split. You look at the 4-3-2 40-yard dash down. Then you turn on the tape and you watch the A-chain train go to work because this kid is electric on the football field. Speed, the acceleration, the explosion, the agility. We talk about Saquon, Bar uh, Saquon Barkley's jump cut ability and we talk about Jameer Gibbs' ability to, to utilise space. Devin A-chain, there's no drop-off again in terms of his agility. There's no wasted motion. There's no drop-off in speed when he cuts. For a smaller back... Um, he's very secure. You know, this this kid's got, what do you say, eight and a half inch hands. There's no ball security issues there. We talked about Kenny Pickett's hands last year and can he hold an NFL football. Devin A. Chain has been one of the most secure running backs in terms of ball security at the college football level. His vision's great. Um, he's just an electric playmaker. We talk, you know, kick return ability, punt return ability, throw that into his game as well. Yes, he's on the shorter side. Yes, he's on the smaller side. Pass protection is not going to be something that you get Devin A. Chain on the football field for. Um, doesn't matter how much of an NFL weight room you put him in. I don't think he's a kid that's ever going to stand there and, and hold his own in pass protection. Sometimes, because of his size, I feel like he can shy away from utilising the, the space between the tackles. He's not. He doesn't go and throw himself into the midst of a battle, which from a longevity standpoint for his career is probably a great thing. But if you're, you're looking for a guy to utilise his vision, because he has got great vision, to take advantage of space in, the, in between the tackles, he'll often shy away from doing that and try and work to the outside. Um, but I think when you, whenever you can pick up an electric playmaker, and, and these guys now that we're going to talk about from here on out, you're talking day two, day three guys, He's worth that just to have that change of pace, that explosion. You talk about Isaiah Pacheco and what he did to that Kansas City Chiefs offense. 
Devin A. Chain's going to do that and a little bit of something more for a, an NFL offense. Well, there's no question he's got speed because you're talking about a guy has a personal personal best 10, 400 meters. And, you know, that's smoking. That's, I mean, no, that's elite speed. Now, utilizing that speed is going to be the key thing. I think finding a spot for this kid is going to be important for him to show off those talents that he has, those physical tools that he has. The thing that I didn't like about him, the thing that I question about him, and one, one of the things, if I was sending – a running back coach to go work him out, you know, at his pro day and at Texas A&M, I would really want to see him catch the football. Cause I, I thought there were too many drops on tape and he doesn't look like a natural catcher to me. So that does limit you a little bit scheme wise in terms of being able to put him outside and run routes with him and those things he can run by you, but you know, again, that's where it's going to come down to somebody taking this, you know, these physical gifts that this kid's got and getting them on the field who's your next one the next guy is we're going to go into the group of five now so enough for these power five running backs let's get into the group of five and let's go to the reigning cotton ball champions Tulane green wave and ty j spears because i think there isn't a more entertaining more electric more tenacious running back that's been playing college football certainly this year, previous years, got injured in in 2020 and has just bounced back incredibly ever since. Twitchy, agile athlete. Um can I, I wrote it down on my notes while watching Tajay Spears, could turn a tank in a phone booth. Um if that's how I feel he operates in space. Um and with often with absolutely devastating consequences. You saw it at the senior bowl. It's littered it's littered all over its t- over his college football tape. But you saw it at the senior bowl as well. He has the ability to absolutely embarrass pretty much anyone that's trying to cover him as a receiving back with right. his just ability to turn tail on as a route runner. He's explosive, um, gets out to the second level before you even know your wallet's gone. Um, and it's this is that tenacity, the motor, the explosion, the the production. You look at the production from Tajay Spears this last year, over 1,800 scrimmage yards, 6.9 yards per carry, um, just incredible performance. And it's and it's not just a case of being in a you know, running behind a far superior offensive line. Yeah, there was there's great players on that two-lane offensive line. Don't get me wrong, since Hainsworth, the centre, is an incredible football player. Um, but Tajay Spears' ability to create for himself and the ability to want to create for himself as well is is something that that's helps him stand out in a crowd of running backs because after those first two guys, everyone is so close. And we'll talk about what comes next after Tajay Spears. Everyone's so close. You need to be able to stand out. And there are a lot of elements of Tajay Spears' game that do stand out. His want to, his will to, is is one of the, the biggest things for him, I think, going into the NFL. Now, you flip on the reverse um, of his game, isn't the most decisive of backs. Um, you, you crowd him um, quite soon after the snap. He's... He's, he's not often um, able to just make that split session, second decision that do separate the great backs from the from the good backs. Um, sometimes plays too upright as well as a rusher, and you want to see more consistency of him playing um, to the to the best of his ability and, and using you know five ten two hundred um, 
<coughs> sorry, 5'10", just over 200 pounds. He's not a tall upright runner, but sometimes he plays like a tall upright runner. Um, and for a kid who has got that physique, I think sometimes you'd like to see him be stronger in contact situations. Um, he's shown he can bounce off players. He's shown he can manhandle players with stiff arms and whatnot. Um, but sometimes it feels like he is taken down a little bit too easily um, for a kid of his, with his tenacity, with his frame. Um, and again, how how willing is he? Sorry, how able is he in pass protection when it comes to the next level? The willing's there. You watch his tape. The willing's there to try and keep his up, uh, his quarterback upright. Michael Pratt is doing a great job trying to protect Michael Pratt at two lane. Um, but how able is he? Is is probably another question as it goes to the NFL level. I think so too. And I, I but I'll tell you what. I, I think this is for the fans that don't know. Tulane is in New Orleans, and it is downtown in New Orleans. And I think this kid has been watching Alvin Kamara an awful lot because I see some things about him, especially his ability to create with the ball in his hands out of the backfield. I think this is a great third down pick right now for somebody. And maybe he'll develop into more of that. But as a situation in a, in a running back by committee situation, I think this kid there were some things he did at the senior bowl. Like you said, he, he got out in one-on-ones and just embarrassed folks. And, um, you know, so again, those are, those are all really, really good attributes to have. Um, and I think the pass protection is going to be less of an issue because people won't keep him in. They'll get him out. They'll, you know, they'll either put him out or they'll put him out on hot routes and, you know, don't make him do things he can't do early in his career. Uh, let me ask you about a guy because you're now we're on to number four and my number my guy's been a little bit higher than I think you got everybody and I just want to know what your thoughts are on UCLA Zach Charbonneau. <laughs> Funnily enough, Zach Charbonneau is in <laughs> is next in line with a group of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, around eleven running backs who I could throw a net over in terms of their overall grade and their overall projected draft landed spot. Um, and this is the thing with this class. I think there is it's very much pick your poison. What can my running back do for me? Um, and I think they're they're all very, very close. I love watching Zach Charbonnet for UCLA. His ability to rumble down the field is uh, just when you're watching the Pac-12 at 4 o'clock in the morning – you need something to keep you awake. And Zach Charbonnet has certainly been able to do that um, throughout his time at UCLA. He's a very, very fast straight line runner, very um, physical in how he plays the game. I think he plays the game a little bit upright for my liking. And I don't always feel like he's the most agile of running backs when it comes to making a man miss. But I suppose when you can just run straight over a guy, that's probably not something he's too worried about and hasn't been too worried about in Chip Kelly's UCLA offense. He's been highly productive. I know a lot of people who are very high on Zach Charbonnet in terms of the sort of second guy in this uh, in this class. Um, but I think guys like Zach Charbonnet, guys like Tank Bigsby, I think Tank, Bigs- Tank Bigsby out of Auburn is kind of almost been overlooked a lot in this draft process because uh, just because Auburn was so bad this year, maybe. You look at guys like Keaton Mitchell out of East Carolina. You look at Eric Gray out of Oklahoma. He really had a bounce back year this 
this last season because he he was a guy I thought going into last season had got second round potential written all over him. And his first year at Oklahoma was just dreadful. Now that Oklahoma team weren't exactly the the great. No, they weren't, they weren't the greatest Oklahoma team that's ever been. They didn't have the greatest offensive line that Oklahoma's ever had, but Eric Gray kind of that, that year kind of made people forget about Eric Gray and he came back strong this year. He's a guy that really should be in that conversation for me as well. Dwayne McBride out of UAB. Yeah. The most Physical, I like that kid. Tough, tough, tough. I, I had the opportunity to speak to Dwayne McBride during this last college football season. And uh, he talked a little bit about where that toughness came from. He's like, oh, my dad, my dad told me, like, never let the first man bring you down. Um and he said, that's how I play the game of football. Like, there isn't a guy who is going to bring me down on the first attempt. He's very physical. I think he's underrated in terms of, no, he's not going to come in and run a 4-3, 40-yard dash. That's not his game. He doesn't need to. Um, I think he's very underrated. People look at the production and they think, well, this is a kid who's getting 400 carries a year um, at the group of five level. But actually, his yards per carry were very good as well. Um, his ability to just be a threat anywhere on the field. You know, there's not, you know, double-digit touchdowns that he's just got from the one-yard line. This is a kid who can run it in from anywhere on the field. Very underrated. Um, Israel Abanakanda out of Pittsburgh. Mm. Similar, big, physical, but athletic running back who's got receiving ability as well, can run you over, but can run away from you. There's, it just The list goes on and on and on. And I think that's the, the great thing about this running back. Northwest... <clears throat> Northwestern's Evan Hull, who showed up and had a great combine performance. Really, I thought he did really well at the senior ball. Saw him in the flesh at um, in Ireland for Northwestern Nebraska. Northwestern weren't great. I'm trying to be polite about Northwestern. Um, they, they won they, one game. You don't have to be polite. They, they, they won one game. They didn't win any after. Um but Evan Hull, again, it's one of those things where good players get lost on bad teams and, and they're going to have a number of guys. You know, Peter Skoronsky, the offensive tackle. Team, right. uh, Tommy Adebowari, the, the defensive end slash defensive tackles, just <laughs> force that ripped up the combine. Cam Mitchell, the cornerback. They, they've got a lot of talent on that team. Deuce Fawn, running back out of Kansas State, another small, incredibly yeah. fast-footed guy. Again, we, we could we could literally spend three hours on this podcast talking about running backs that I like and that could probably be the fifth-ranked running back in this class. Well, I thought it was fascinating because, um, you know, I had Charbonneau at three. You had Bixby at three and, you know, moved Charbonneau down. I, Shane was the one that was a little bit of a surprise for me in terms of how high you had him, but I don't, I don't doubt the physical tools. I don't doubt the, you know, his ability to – to make an impact. He's, I just really think he's such a scheme fit guy. You got to find the, you got to find somebody that'll take advantage of those kind of, those kind of tools. Yeah. And I think this, I think this, the same could be said for quite a lot of the guys in this class. I think it, it very much is like a, a pick your poison type of, of running back class. The same, same with the wide receiver class, the same with the cornerback classes. There's a lot of different archetypes and it's going to be a lot of scheme fits going to be so important for, for the NFL projection. You know, this is the thing, Ali, and this is, you know, this is a topic for another conversation we'll have about the combine and the usefulness of the combine and has it outlived itself and all those other things, which I think are things we need to chop up. But, you know, I think 
for these guys and certainly other than maybe Bijan Robinson and um, Gibbs, these workouts that they're going to have, their personal workouts, you know, on their school pro days and when teams come in to work them out, those are going to be absolutely critical for some of these guys because they're going to need to show the, the things maybe in a, let's take, let's take Charbonneau, for example, Charbonneau, for example, you know, he's a big old school, big 10 I formation tailback is what I see him as right now. How much more can he do at 6-1-2-20? You know, because you're always looking for, like you said, added value. That's critical. And, you know, those workouts are where guys are going to have the opportunity to show added value. You know, um, I, I, I go back to this all the time. When I was at SMU, Aldrick Robinson went to the combine and ran 4-3-8, right? And his stock went through the roof. And the Redskins, who eventually drafted him, came and they wanted us to – I was the pro, pro liaison at the time, and they, they wanted to work him out in the stadium with, with the gates locked. They didn't want anybody inside to see the workout. No media, no, no other players, no, no coaches, no anybody. And they wanted a jugs machine. And I bet they, they – I bet that they, they – shot punts out of a jugs machine i bet they shot 40 of them because what they wanted to see was they knew he was a developmental wide receiver you know and aldrich played probably seven years and had a good career but they knew that 438 they were trying to create added value in that workout and i think that's going to be key for a lot of these guys yeah, definitely. Interestingly enough, I, uh, I've been writing about Ohio State's spring football game today. Marvin Harrison Jr., who is going to probably be the first wide receiver off the board next year and would have been this year, they've been working him out on punt return at Ohio State spring football today for that exact reason. And I think head coach Ryan Day's exact words were, we want to increase his toolbox. We want to increase his package of what he can do at the next level. And that's just, you know, it's testament to what you, you just said there. This is a kid who... The, the sky is the limit as far as his ceiling as a pass catcher. What else can he do when he gets to the NFL as well? No question. No question. I, that was great. Outstanding work. Wide receivers next week. You got to get some vitamin C in you, man, because, because <laughs> you, you're, you're fading on us a little bit. Maybe it's that Oregon, maybe it's that Oregon sweatshirt you're wearing. It quite possibly could be. Quite possibly could be. <laughs> hey, Michael, come on in and let's talk. Well, we're going to take some questions now and and uh, chop it up a little bit, you and I and Ali, with uh, some questions from our, our listeners. We are indeed. How's everyone getting on? Right. Um, you've got three or four questions here. Actually, you've got three questions. If, As you can hear my dishwasher in the background making noise, in case you're wondering. Um, so this one is from Michael Greenwood. Uh, Jeff, the Giants seem to be catching a lot of flack for the Daniel Jones contract. What real alternatives do they have to pay him? Jumping back on the quarterback carousel would seem real stupid. I, I'm just going to jump in first here. I don't agree whatsoever, Michael. Thank you very much for your question. Tag him. Tag him for one year. See how he plays next year again. And get Saquon. Get a team-friendly deal with Saquon. I look at his production and look at what he's been paid. I'm sorry. I, I can't get involved in this. I don't. I cannot believe the money Daniel Jones is getting paid. And I'm, that's all I'm going to say. Next to you. Next to you. He might be, you know, one of the highest paid guys I know, right? And 
But I, you know, Ali, what you, what's your thought on that? I mean, I, I because I'm going to give you mine, but I want to hear what Ali has to say. I think the problem for the New York Giants is, um, or was, it's not obviously the problem now, is that they've got to pay Daniel Jones all this money. The problem was for the New York Giants, the quarterback, <clears throat> the quarterback market is dreadful. Let's be honest. The, the quarterback market in the NFL is awful. You've got a, a draft class that disappears very quickly after the top three guys. Uh, I don't count Will Levis in that. Um, you've got the three agency class isn't great either. So what what really are your options? I think Mike was right. If you tagged him and then you could have got the even better Duke quarterback next year, Riley Leonard, when he comes out in the draft. Um, but um, yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those for a lot of NFL teams this year is what what really do you, are you going to do at the quarterback position? You look at Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they're looking at starting Kyle Trask. Like for me, that's that's the ultimate in tanking for Caleb Williams by starting Kyle Trask. But that's a subject for a different conversation in a different day. Um, <laughs> it just, the, the, the situation with the, Giant, the, the Giants and Daniel Jones is just, for me, is just, um, it just epitomizes the, the lack of um, demand for what is a big, uh, a lack of supply for what is a big demand for quarterbacks in the NFL. I think there's almost, not now because of Derek Carr, that takes away one for the New Orleans Saints. I think there's double-digit teams that you really realistically look at and say they need a quarterback for either now or for next year. And that's a terrifying situation. I think that's a fair assessment. And it's it's, it's been the, that way for a long time where the where the supply is much smaller than the demand. And I think that's why offenses have morphed and started to move more to college football because coaches don't have time for a guy to develop from being a zone read quarterback into a drop back passer because the next guy that coaches him will, you know, will get the benefit of your work. So I think this is exactly how I thought this thing was going to play out. We talked about this, Michael, before when we were on tour in Ireland and the, and we had Giants fans, G fans of the G-Men asking us what we thought. And I thought you would you would uh, tag Saquon because that tag costs you less. And you start tagging quarterbacks now, you're talking about some serious, serious cash that you're going to have to lay out in, because of the structure of the cap. And I think that Brian Dayball saw enough. I, I'm, I'm not convinced personally because I, I thought he really regressed in – in that playoff game against the Eagles. And but over the course of the season, I'm sure they're looking at this and saying, hey, listen, we've invested in the kid. We know the kid. We like a lot of things about him. He has played this year with basically no receivers around him. And I think once I think and I'm not comparing him to Josh Allen, but I think what Dable realizes he needs to do is the same thing they did with Josh Allen, which is get him weapons around him that can help him be a better player because it was, I mean, it, it was a cast of nobody that he was throwing to this year. And that's, I mean, obviously those are NFL players, but they weren't first line, you know, they did, didn't have a wide receiver one, didn't have a wide receiver two, didn't have a, you know, an explosive threat at tight end, like a Travis Kelsey or even an Evan Ingram, you know? So um, I think it's going to be a situation where, you know, they're doing what they have to do to get that team better. They got defensive issues too. They got to get a middle linebacker. Um, 
you know, I think they're headed in the right direction, but it's a tough slog, man. It is a tough, tough job. Hey, Mike, where was where was that question from? From the UK, Michael Greenwood. All right, now fans, please tell us where you're from. We're not asking you your height and weight. We're asking you where you're from. So, so give us give us a shout. Who's our next question, Mike? Uh, Clive Underhill, who's also from the UK, says that there's plenty of good running backs to be had in the later rounds, and if he was a GM and he wants to improve the run game, he would draft quality O-linemen first. I'm presuming that you both agree with that, lads. I yeah. do, personally, I take that. That's that's my take 100%. Always, if you got a choice between a good running back and a good offensive lineman, I'm going to take a good offensive lineman. You can't win if you – and we, we have seen this. You can't win if you cannot protect the football protect the quarterback and run the football. And that comes down to have an offensive lineman. So I agree with that 100%. Your take, Ali. Yeah, exactly. I think you look at the teams that have been um, most successful and they've achieved their success by, by drafting. If you can get the offensive line in place first, even the, not even the running backs position, the quarterback position, like say you're a, say you're a team that's in the quarterback market this year. Why not? Take advantage, upgrade your offensive line. Don't waste a pick on a quarterback this year. You'll you you might be in line for a Caleb Williams, a Drake May, a Riley Leonard, or you know, there's there's a whole ton of great quarterbacks potentially. You know, we say this every year, like we said last week. Um, there's potentially a, a lot of great quarterbacks. If you've got a solid offensive line and you're going to put a rookie behind it, that's a far far better situation than than doing some you know things that we've seen historically, like Zach Wilson at the Jets and going back as far as David Carr at the Texans and, 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 yep. you know, situations like that. No, no question. I, I agree with that so much. And, and uh, I'm glad, uh, you know, I'm glad that, that you bring up that point um, about David Carr, because David Carr was a very, very talented quarterback coming out of Fresno state that never developed it into what he should have been because he got just hit out. They just, I mean, it was, it was like, the Alamo every Sunday in Houston and the Mexicans were coming over the wall. And I mean, it was not for him, for him, his development as a quarterback, it, you know, it really cost the kid his career. That's a good, that's a good take. I love that take. Mike, what's our last one? We've got one more from Lee Wakefield from England Uh, for the chargers. It would make sense in terms of, I think he's talking about Robinson at running back. It gives him a free down back to spell. Uh, Austin Eckler and keep him fresh. That would be a hell of a two-headed two monster. It would also take the pressure off Justin Herbert to have to throw so much. Gives more balance and probably opens up the passing game more too. I'd be intrigued to see Robinson in, in, in LA. But it's a 1 or 32 chance, isn't it? <laughs> what's, your take? what's your take, Ali? For a number of teams, B. John Robinson makes sense for that sort of reason. The receiving option, I mean, they, they already have Austin Eckler and he's a great receiving back. But having a guy like B. John Robinson, who we mentioned earlier in the show, catches the football like a wide receiver, can run routes like a wide receiver. Like that is, that's a wide receiver option that the Los Angeles Chargers do need. I, I do think whenever I've written a mock draft for the Chargers, I think they need a guy who can take the top off of defense as a, as a third level um, pass catching threat. You've got Mike Williams. You've got Keenan Allen. I really like Josh Palmer, but you need a guy who has got the speed, has got the explosion to take the top off the defense. And I think that's a bigger, bigger need for the Chargers right now than Bijan Robinson. Although, yeah, that would be a that would be a, a, right. a sight to behold. 
my man has called it. You, 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 I know he's all about the A-Shane train. So there's our guy right there. That, there's your fit. There's your scheme fit. I, I, like, I, I like a guy like Zay Flowers to to the Los Angeles Chargers. For me, I think that's the perfect fit is, is Zay Flowers in LA. As a as a New England Patriots fan, the perfect fit for Zay Flowers is staying at home in, in Massachusetts and making the most romantic story that's ever been written. But I don't see the Patriots doing it, sadly, which is, you know, very sad. Hey, well, it's been a great day, great morning having an opportunity to chop it up with you guys. Hey, uh, make sure you shovel the driveway today, Ollie, and put your put your toque on or your hat on before you go out there in this cold weather. Michael, what's happening? We are what one week away from St. Patty's Day now, and, and people in Ireland already are, are got to be getting excited. I, I saw you shave. Thank you for that. Um, we're we're getting excited. Uh, just uh, just a big thanks to everyone listening to this podcast as always, charting in the UK and Ireland and across Europe and, and the US. So massively appreciate it. Uh, there'll be a podcast out during next week. Um, unlikely at this point for a Paddy's Day special, but we'll see if we can get Jeff some Guinness. <laughs> well, listen, if you get it, I will, I, just for St. Paddy's Day, I will take a swig. You better as a matter of fact, I, I found a spot. I found a spot here on, on the Big Island that has it. So we'll get it done. See you guys next week. It's been awesome. Thank you so much for listening to the show. Uh, get us a comment. No, again, make sure you let us know what you want because our job is to put it out for you, not for us, for you, the fan. Aloha. Aloha.